You are with us for episode 26 of the Rocky Talkie Podcast. I am your host, Rocky Riccatoni, episode 26. Here we go. Uh, bear with me here. This is my a little bit of a little bit of a story slash analogy. I, re- I remember, I'm just gonna jump right in. Uh, being a kid sitting at the table with my family and uh, having my father just make small talk with my my mom and say, Guess who I ran into today at No Frills? And so I'm gonna go, I don't know, hun, who? And they'll say a name. And then it would say, I haven't seen that guy in 25 years. And I see, there's somebody waving at me from my theater group from 20 years ago. This is why shooting downtown Hamilton is amazing. I used to think 25 years, how was that possible? I haven't even been alive 18 and to not know somebody, but know somebody and not see them for 25 years. That's insanity. Uh, It's kind of happening right now. Joining me tonight is uh, a very talented, very cool dude, Dylan Hudecki otherwise known as The Dill, as uh, his artist's uh, name, uh, went to high school with me at St. Mary's in Hamilton. We're alumni. And I have to be honest, uh, there's two reasons why Dylan's here tonight. Uh, first of all, he's a talented cat, and uh, he's my age, and he's still uh, fighting the good fight of music and being an artist and plowing through and still pursuing it and doing it. He's done uh, a lot of really cool things. He's worked with some phenomenal people. He's been in uh, by Divine Right. He knows a lot of uh, royalty in the Canadian music scene, and uh, that's part of why he's here. The other reason is um, a selfish reason. Reason In high school, I always noticed Dylan that he was always a really laid-back, confident, cool guy. And I remember always thinking, man, I, I, I want to know him, but I'm too shy, or just it wasn't going to happen, or he was a great above me. But I, um, I always, I'm just going to talk to you like you're here and not like you're a third person. Dylan, first of all, welcome to the show, bro. Thanks, Rocky. It's great to be here. Um, I just, I, I always thought you had, you, you kind of had it on lock growing up in high school. And I was always uh, taken by your ability to just kind of like exist and kind of be chill and, and do music and play, you know, the all night dances and just be okay with who you were. And, and I remember feeling like, wow, I'm really insecure. That guy's not. And uh, I just always thought that was really cool. I'm like, man, I wish I could have had a chance to got to know him. So here we are 25, 27 years later. Um, and, we're, and we're new friends again. Yeah. And I have you at my table in my restaurant and uh, like, hey, better late than never. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a really nice introduction. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I, I love both of those introductions. And I don't think, uh, I think I have lots of time for new friends still. And I have lots of energy for people that uh, are in my stratosphere anyways. And maybe you feel that way too. Like, you know, they always say like freaks flock together, <laughs> but also like, like minds. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not as you know extreme to say a, you know, we're freaks, but like just, we, you know, you magnetize towards someone that's in the, in your purview, in your orbit. And, yeah. and, uh, and so here we are. Yeah, not to be too you know overly dramatic, but I just always kind of had a gut that we would hit it off, and uh, better late than never. But um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I say this all the time. Uh, another prime example of not really knowing who I am, but just saying yes and coming, and, and it was a resounding yes. So I tip my hat to you for that. So Dylan, you have been um, you've been a busy guy, man, as a musician, and I and I would one hundred percent refer to you as a successful musician. Um, in my research of of a lot of your work, uh, one of my favorite things that I was witness to was your 60-second synopsis stories of each of the tracks of your songs. Uh, 
which I've never seen them before, and I thought that was a really cool touch, but I was incredibly taken by how many musicians played on your stuff. Mm, yeah, shocking. Like, dude, that's <laughs> insane. But so I, I, I'm digressing, though. So let's, let's I'm, I'm big on origins. So we, you graduated in 95, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what was, what was the trajectory for you uh, post-high school? Where, where did you go? What, what did you start doing? Uh, well, if you wanted to do the quick the the quick timeline from from 95 to now music wise my band in high school was Mr. Cleavage worst, what a name worst name ever or best name ever I got in trouble for mentioning your name from my mom by the way I just thought of that it just came back to me right now she's like what the hell are you talking Mr. Cleavage why, why are you talking about cleavage yeah I remember that it was it was it, it was that or sweaty cleavage <laughs> so we went with Mr. you're 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 we we're 15 years old I got you I got you Graham Walsh was the guitar player uh, he's now in Holy F-U-C-K. I don't know if we could swear on this. Yeah, you can. Uh, it says explicit on the... You're so, good. Yeah, Holy Fuck is... They're, they're doing great. And uh, anyways, he and I started the band with our friend Matt Schoolberg. What's up, Matt? He has an auto shop called Chestnut Avenue Auto down there, downtown, East End. And our friend Gavin. Anyways, went from there to Moon Karma, which is me, Graham. Uh, we had some other friends. And uh, that's when we met, like, Dave Curick and, and started, like, you know, kind of getting closer in the Hamilton music scene after moon karma, it went to, um, we both moved to Toronto. Graham joined flux AD with Julie Fader. Oh, and, uh, I joined by divine, right? Just again, happenstance, you know, you just add the right bar at the right time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was at Fife's first show and Jose from by divine, right? Was just watching the show in the crowd. And, and so he and I just, I just started talking to him wow. as you know, how, you know, wow. I'm just a talkative guy. And then fast forward, I'm in the band. And that ended up being five years of your life. Yeah. That's five, incredible. Five years later, five or six years later, then I came back to Hamilton and started a band with my brother Jackson uh, called Cowlick, uh, Jackson Udekis. Uh He works at the RBG now, and he's a nature interpreter and a birder, and he's an amazing drummer. Uh, and then I wanted to do my own album during that. So the thing is, when I was in Bite of Van Wright, I only wrote two two. Two originals. Sorry, I just cut out there for a second. Uh, and the Cowlick stuff was our collaboration stuff. But I was I was always writing stuff that didn't fit any of those, right. you know, kind of bands. So I decided to um, make a solo album. So the the solo album is fifty two songs. That was how, it was called. Uh, well, fifty two was like the 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 deck of cards solo album, one song a week uh, for the whole year of two thousand sixteen. It was like a card a week, a song a week. And, uh, uh, and then the best of was what I released on vinyl. So, but that album was, it actually took 15 years to make cause I started wow. writing in 2000. It was just cause I was like, Oh, that's not for that band. Okay. It's not for that band. So eventually I was like, Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, as soon as I started getting other players on it, I did a session with, um, one of the guys from the weaker thens and my friend Jason Tate. And as soon as I recorded four songs with him, I was like, Oh, okay, well, I got to keep on going. Right. And then I recorded with Don Kerr, who's now in Bahamas. And then I recorded with uh, just other friends at the studios. And then before I knew it, I was like, man, this is like, a, I have to keep on now. This is kind of building up. Right. And building up. You worked with Chris Tate from Chalk Circle. Yeah. I freaking love Chalk Circle. <laughs> I, um, What's up, Chris? That's impressive. And, and uh, Don Kerr plays with Rio Statics and Ron Sexman too, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, they, they've, uh, Ron now has a different drummer, and Rios have Dave Clark again, who's their original drummer. So he left the band for a while and started doing his own things, and now he's now he's back. That's incredible. Um, 
I know, I know the pain of long suffering with uh, a project that you're holding close to your chest and, and it's just out of season. It's not time to actually do it or circumstances just aren't allowing you to do that. And, you know, finally giving birth to that, that must've been quite a thing for you. It was. Yeah. You know, the catharticness of it yeah. and just, and just finally like no, having a secret that no, no one knew about. I love it. When I, it was, Cam, I don't know if you know Cam Malcolm, but he's a local musician. He's, he plays with, uh, uh, Don Vale a little bit. Do you know? Um, I know Don Vale's name. Yeah, yeah, Mitch Bowden, like the Dunville guys, like Chore. You know, he's one of the guys in Chore. Chris Bell is now in Winter Sleep, and mm-hmm. Dave Dunham is now in um, Not of, and Mike Bell's in uh, uh, Good Enough for You Karaoke. And so, anyways, Mitch and Cam have a band. Um, and anyways, Cam told me once he goes, "When are you gonna release your solo album?" This is I remember this. It was at the Casbah Lounge, and he, I said, "I don't know." Uh, I have a ton. I have so many just demos and all these other songs. He goes, just make a top 50. Just make like a best of and uh, like, like a greatest hits. And we laughed about that. And I said, I said verbatim, I said, well, if I release a top 50, I'm just going to do 52 so I can do release one song a week. And then I can, if I'm doing 52 songs, I might as well do, it's like I, I read it where I thought about 52 pickup, you know, when you yeah, just yeah, throw yeah. the cards yeah. up. Well, then I'll have to make a deck of cards to go along. Brilliant. So then he just looked at me and he laughed and I laughed. But then I, as I was walking home, I was like, fuck, I, I got to do that. <laughs> yeah. Now. Like yeah. it was like, it was like you meeting your wife. It was just like, yeah. well, that's, it's, you know, in your gut, it just tells you, you're like, okay, well now I'm doing that. You know like, that you know. So, yeah. so then I was like. And then I started the next day I, I started and then I, it was so fun. You wouldn't have believed just like looking through my phone and saying, Oh, that he has a recording studio, like Sammy Goldberg and broken social scene. He's has a studio in Montreal. So I sent him a song, you know, a winter sleep. They, they record with stars in Montreal. So, I nice. sent, like, so it was just Jeremy Fisher. He's a mm-hmm. Hamilton boy. Mm-hmm. He, he's in Ottawa. So it was all these different friends. I, I was able to like basically outsource my album. And because I just have all these friends, I've also done other things for them right. in the past. Like, so it was, it was cashing in a lot of karma points for sure. That whole organic building world building is pretty phenomenal that you can uh, have that at your, at your beck and call to go, Hey man, it, can you play on this? Like the, so all the numbers, that, or the numbers, all the names that you've mentioned to me is very indicative of uh, how likable you likely are that people First of all, they want to work with you. Like mm. I think that's that's a testament to kind of who you are, and that my gut instinct about you probably wasn't wrong. Like you, you know, you can still meet lots of people, but if they don't jive with you or like you, they're not going to reciprocate. Mm. But that's very impressive, man. So I, I, there's a lot of really cool rock and roll stories of of great bands that met at a venue, started talking or arguing, and they ended up in a band together. I would love to know, like, what what were the what were some of the takeaway talking points that that ended up leading you to joining by divine, right? With a complete stranger. I, yeah. Complete. Yeah. You would have to ask Jose how that shook out exactly in his mind, but um, I'm a big advocate of, uh, I think what you were talking about in high school too, knowing me and seeing how, uh, how I was or how I acted. It's also a bit of carefreeness and aloofness and like I'm a Sagittarius uh, outgoing kind of extrovert, but I also don't, I'm not too, um, I don't overthink things. Right. So look at that person. Oh, I'm going to walk over and talk to them. It's like that, like, 
Every stranger is a, just a friend you haven't met yet. God bless you. God bless you. It took me a long time to get there, but I live there now. But yeah. <laughs> and it's it's scary. Some people, that's like the, to the introverts of the world, like they hate that. Yeah. Like that scares them. Like people like me scare them. But uh, it's always worked out for me. I don't know. Not always. Like, you know, I, I'm not friends with absolutely everybody on the planet. But every time I have, you know, reached out to people, sorry, you know, sometimes it doesn't. But anyways, for Jose Wise, I walked up and I think I said, I, I saw you at, uh, I had just seen them open for the hip at nice. Cops Coliseum. So I was like, hey, dude, you're Jose, right? He's like, yeah. So like, oh, I saw you at the, the hip show in Hamilton. It was wicked. And uh, I said, do you want to play in my album? I'm working on an album right now. And I wasn't, but I kind of was. Good but for I, you. I kind of wasn't. And he, and he goes, sure. Wow. And it, he was so, and I had, at the time, it was, you know, it was 2000, so I had a, a pack sack and a, you know, my CD Walkman and my keys. I just had everything. Had a, when it was cool to have that over-the-shoulder man. Yeah, it was early 2000s, yeah. but the, the man satchel. But the thing is, you also had you also had the iPhone. Just to the listeners out there, I'm holding up an iPhone. But I I would have a like a cell like a, a cell phone and a uh, camera and a right. notepad and right. a pen. And a Walkman, like all separate, yes. and a book, like everything, yes. was just filling up this bag, which now is just a stupid phone. Yeah. Uh, so I called him the next day, and uh, he, and then I left a message on his phone saying, and I, I, t- I totally forgot about this, but I was leaving for Tobamori. So I just said, Hey, I know like, I said you, if you want to play on my album, you can, but I'm actually going to, to Tobamori for, for about a week if you want to come up, you know, like. It's just me, Dylan, and and uh, so I left my number again, and and so then he had written it, Mick Dylan, <laughs> and then he called the co- he he told his friends about me, like this guy has invited me up to his cottage, like he I met him at the Rivoli, and now he wants me to play on his album. Now he wants me, like, I don't even know who this guy is. I love it. So we laugh about that now because we toured all yeah. over the world. We went to yeah. China together. We're brothers, you know. It's you know. Um, it's it's so yeah that's if that answers your question i've lived a thousand lives and in in each of them um being brave enough to just take the first establish something with a complete stranger has 98 percent of the time worked for me i've been blown away by humanity just off the virtue of that thing right there Mm. that's pretty amazing yeah look at work you know you called me right right, here we are Yeah. yeah crazy yeah you're like, yeah, I'm at St. James. I was like, I love that place. I love and it. So I, I'm shocked I've actually never bumped into you here. But I mean, if I, I've had my, my head down over at the stove. And then after three years, I, I wasn't cooking here anymore. But yeah. that's crazy. We never bumped into each other. Dave Romanello says hi, by the way. Oh, nice. Shout out, Dave. Um, Dave. So uh, you played on the uh, Rio Static tribute album. Right. That's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. The secret sessions. How did that happen? Uh, they were... Well, I... F- Can can we just, before you answer that question, were you as bewildered by them like I was, but fascinated by them at the same time when they first came around? Like when I saw the video for Claire, Claire. I was like, what the hell is this hypnotic, underwater, melodic, beach boy nightmare thing? Like, but I I can't stop looking at it. And then they did the music for a, a weird Canadian movie called Whale Music. But they had their hooks in me, and I was like, "These guys are on; are, they're off planet." Yeah. And now they're royalty. Yeah. Bedini, Tielli. Yeah. Like, and you you know them. H- yeah. How did that happen? Hockey. 
So oh, much, that's amazing. So much of it's hockey. Who's the hockey guy? Bedini's the hockey Bedini, guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Literally wrote a book about it. Yeah. 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 I'm in one of his books about uh, how to start a band or how to be in a band. I forget. He it was. He's written so many books now, but he uh, he got me to play his one game. He goes, come down. We're playing at McCormick Arena. I was like, is it just a shin? He goes, yeah. Just I was like, any equipment or what? He goes, oh no, just wear whatever. So I came down wearing skates, jeans, a sweater, and a no helmet, gloves and a stick, and a toque that had like dangling yeah, yeah. tassels for the audience. I'm just dangling <laughs> my fingers. Everyone's full equipment. Oh. And so, so I go out and I'm like, and they're like, no, no, we need players. We need skaters. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Had a super fun game. Had a blast. <laughs> so, and there's this goalie I can't score on. Like I'm, I'm not that good of a player. I'm like a medium player, but full Bruins pads, like black and yellow, big guy. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I can, I was like, is that like a Bruins? Like he has, it's like authentic, authentic like, gear, it's really expensive goalie gear. And Dave's skating around and, and this guy, I didn't know. He goes, no, it's Gord. Gord who? And I, I didn't have to say Gordon. Don't say Downey. Yeah. You're freaking kidding me. I, it was, I just, I, I just looked over and then I started, like I got the goosebumps cause you know, Gordon, I'd only met once before. So when I, when I skated up to him uh, after, like it was, a, it was like a, it was just shinny. Right. So he dropped the puck, he saved a shot. So I came around and he passed it to his friends. Kind of like, he just kind of, you know, in an unspoken rule of shinny, you're not supposed to like go too hard. Right. right. So he kind of just, he stood up and everyone's kind of resetting and I kind of snuck in like uh like kind of like Brad Marchant would or some kind of sneaky little guy just like and take the puck off the goalie and he goes nope and then I just it was just kind of like like your dad saying no no you got reprimanded lovingly by Gord Downey yeah so I just passed it back to him like sorry Gord I gotta I just I just gotta like camp here and acknowledge this uh that's that is Canadian content treasure right there yeah. wow yeah Wow! You and, and then when I scored on him later that game, he was down, and, and I I just put it over his stick, and and it went in. I've never scored a goal with like somberness, like it was right. I, I've just scored on my hero. Like I <laughs> That's love, amazing. I, just, I love Gord so much. I've, I've like been, dunking on your dad. Yeah. It was just, oh. just to see him on his back oh, and amazing. kind of like grunting to turn around to get up. And I was just skating back to that, my side, like, wow. Com- conflict- Dejected and conflicted. I was compl- I was like, I should be happy. Right the now. tension. Oh. Wow, man. That's okay. so, you, so you played shinny with guys from the Rio statics and the tragically hip. I don't know if it gets more Canadian. That was, well, Blue- Oh no, I could keep on going. Blue rodeo Sloan, uh, on, on- George Strombo, uh, different games. Okay. Uh, I was going to make a joke, like, like, it was Blue Rodeo on the other side of the Sam, team? Sam Roberts, Dwayne Gretzky, like, like so many wow. musicians. Because we also played in the Juno Cup. That's this, right. Where the Juno Awards, they have, like, the NHL alumni versus just any old, you know, Menno from Colorado and, and you know, Sarah Harmer and just different, like, just diff- amazing. Like a lot of different musicians, depending on where it is in the country. And I'm, I'm buddies with... Um, well, I can't think of his name now. Now you're not going to think I'm actually friends with him. But uh, <laughs> Kevin from uh, Broken Social Scene, he was a regular of mine at Dark Horse. I was the manager nice. there. And uh, got to know him. And he's coming on the podcast in theory. He's so busy. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. But he's a sweetheart. I'll text him. I, I text him and it doesn't work. <laughs> Please. I'll text him that picture I just took of us. Do it. Yeah, Ladies thank and gentlemen, you. I will. Uh, but he he brought Gord Downey in to order. Oh, wicked. And uh, I, I, I had celebrity in there all the time. 
Mm. It didn't it didn't phase me. It was just uh, so it was the corner of Euclid and Queen West in downtown Toronto, right by Trinity. Yeah. Okay. And well, uh, I know exactly where that is. So. And I was really good at just not caring about celebrity because they they, they needed the that. Yeah. They needed that, and yeah. they and they would they would post up and hang out, and, and it was great. But when he brought Gord Downey, my, my knees literally went went knock kneed. Yeah. And that's never happened to me. And uh, he's <laughs> like, "Hey, Rocky, I'm Gord." I'm like, "Dude, I yeah, I know who you are." And Kevin laughs at that because I was freaking out because Gordani was there, but Gordani was freaking out because Malcolm Gladwell was writing his oh, book wow. at the at the table. So it was kind of like a you know full <laughs> circle of, of geeking out. But that's incredible, man. Yeah. So Gord was really really sweet to me and sweet to everybody. And and at the shows, I I went to a couple of his solo shows and and. Dale Morningstar is a really big, a real close friend of da- of Gord, and he has a studio in town, and he was in Dinner's Ruined. Mm-hmm. So when Gord did his solo album, uh, Coke Machine Glow, yeah. that was with Dale and Don Kerr, and then the rest of Dinner's Ruined at uh, at a loft down like near uh, Dufferin, and I, I guess it's exhibition area. So Dale and... Yeah, so that was a lot of nether hockey connection, but all those guys were wow. really, really close. And and um, so at a sh- at, but Gord at shows like he would, he, I met him like twice, and ever ever since that, all the other times we met, he's like, hey, Dill, like he would call me Dill, because you know a stranger would be like, oh, hey, hey, Dylan, how you doing? But you know, hearing him call me that, it's like you don't you don't need to be right. so friendly. You don't, yeah, but he chose to, and then yeah. But then other times I, I was with him where he it's you would have been it, it was shocking how uh, much of a brick wall he was and he would walk so fast he just he had his head down and would I was hey Gord like are you go to say hi to him and he would just walk right by was he sick then is that why you're no, saying no, no, or, no, or this is like no because he was he if he stopped he would be oh in an, yeah swarmed gotcha anywhere he went yeah so the one time. I I thought he, he it was something was weird, and then I saw him again because I worked in his neighborhood. I was I worked at a group home because people with uh, you know young offenders needed you know needed help, and Canadian musicians didn't have any money, so I needed to do something on my part time part time while I was on tour and stuff because it was it was the early two thousands. There's still not much money in music, but I remember Gord driving his bike past me and just stopping, chatting, chatting wow. five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes. We're just standing at the park. Amazing. On the Danforth, I was like, well, "Why are you doing this?" But I realized that he and I were in the middle of a park, and there was no one around. Right, he's safe. I could go. I, I don't want to keep you with. But that's a that's a that's a podcast unto itself. Uh, Canadian yeah. stories. Just Dill stories. Oh <laughs> man, no, dude, you need to start a podcast called Dill Canadian Rock Stories. Um, yeah, the, the Canadian talent that I met were always down to earth and gave a shit. Mm-hmm. Who who do you who? Uh, Jumps off your mind at the moment. Uh, Jim Cuddy was a sweetheart. Um, Margot from um, Cowboy Junkies. Cowboy Junkies was was just so, incredibly humble and sweet. Yeah. Um, I mean, Kevin from Broken Soldier Scene, Kevin Hearn from Bare Naked Ladies, sweetheart. Um, but honestly, mostly American celebs like Sam Sam uh, Rockwell was in, and Claire Danes. I made a cappuccino for Claire Danes and Steve. I. What's his name? Uh, who's the uh, who's the dude? The hockey player. He's he's huge, and he was supposed to be like the next second coming, and then he was always getting injured with uh, head injuries. Oh, Eric Lindros. Lindros. Lindros was my first celebrity, and he comes in, and I was like three weeks on the job, and I hadn't come across anybody. It's tall, big, handsome guy. I'm like, 
oh, this isn't a normal guy. This is, I had, <laughs> but I'm not not, not a, like a sports guy, so I don't really know who the hell I'm looking at. You would have seen him and go, oh, that's that's Lindros. So I'm like, uh, are you an athlete? He's like, yeah, I played for a bit. Like professionally, he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, what city did you play? He's like, you know, casually naming off. Oh no, no. Philly. <laughs> and, I go, yeah. I go well, what did you play? Did I played <laughs> hockey, like in the NHL. He's like, yeah. I'm like, what's your name? He goes, Eric Lindros. And I start clapping <laughs> at him. <laughs> and I was clapping because I was so impressed with my gut instinct that something was, you know, unique about this guy, but that it was actually him. And he was looking, he was like, what the hell are you doing? But ever since then. Can I have my coffee? Yeah. But ever since then, we'd always have this kind of like chuckle with each other because of that stupid moment. But yeah. a nice guy. Yeah. An absolute ape. I, I, every time I see him, I go, I can't imagine that guy on skates plus pads bearing down on me at 30 miles an hour. Yeah. No. Not a chance. No, thanks. No. Yeah, so um, fast. As a musician, uh, wh- what did you cut your teeth on growing up? Like, you, I'm curious to hear what you say because you and I are, are from the same generation. Like, what what were the first music moments that kind of got their claws into you as a kid? I would ask you right back. Do you feel that your upbringing as a, you know, a Southern Ontario boy, listening to the music that we had mm-hmm. then, pre-internet, Pre, like what your friends, well, yeah, we were, or we were filtered through what our friends and our family were listening to, but we also only had like two stations. Yeah. So what music did, did end up, and much music, like that shaped all of us. And it was, and, and when I moved to Toronto and I actually then was introduced to, no, you, you let, you don't, you, this is the music, you know, well, it's actually like right. this right. for the audience. I'm actually spreading my arms really wide. So I, I, it was the, when I joined By Divine Right, people were like, oh, you haven't heard the Velvet Underground? It's like, oh, you, have you heard Nick Drake? Here's this. Here's Elliot Smith. Here's this. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oof, Elliot Smith. That would have been a big. It was just, it was one after the other after the other because when we were, when you and I were kids, it was, it was Green Day. It was, it was Aerosmith. It was Led Zeppelin. It was all of the stuff that was on Q107 mm-hmm. and 102.1 and eventually why I want to wait, whatever it was before that a bit of college radio and university radio, but it was, and much music. So it was, it was a very, it was very structured. And what we, we were just kind of shoved down our, in our ears. Yeah. You like this Rocky Dill, you like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it took a while to kind of unlearn it. I guess maybe like school is a bit too, like you realize like being a like Roman Catholic boy too, I was just an altar boy. I went to church. I was just, well, this is what, this is what church is. This is what you believe in. Like, yeah. This is the music that you like. It was a construct that you kind of, and this is the movies you like. And so, you know, you like Steven Seagal and you like <laughs> Van Damme. And I'm like, okay. I guess. You loved Under Siege. <laughs> you loved Under Siege. Uh, so if that, uh, that's a really roundabout way. Right. Uh, so, but to be specific, um, a lot of the early concerts I went to, really shaped me and one of the biggest 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 ones and i'll forever love my parents for it they brought me into paul mccartney at sky dome 1990 1990 wow yeah was that the trip the light fantastic era of of paul no it was it was his first tour back in like 10 years linda was in the band and it was and he they he probably played 60 percent beatles and like 15% 15% wings and then whatever he had just been. Writing. Your parents are cool. Very cool. I might be able to meet you on that one. Mom and dad, Hideki, they'll probably, uh, I'll, they've probably been in here. They live around the corner and they, they love James street North. So. Awesome. 
I'll, I'll definitely hook you hook you guys up. <clears throat> Michael Jackson was my first one. That was my first concert. You're shitting me. I think we're meant to be friends, my friend. Dylan is now stomping. <laughs> 1980. I didn't want to say that was my first concert, but that was my first it, concert. My second concert was Paul McCartney. 80, it was 83 or 84. It was the State of Shock tour. It was the Jackson 5 reunion tour. Victory tour. Yes. At, and I at, remember. At exhibition. Exhibition. Day. And I remember being. Are you sure that was yours or you just listened to no, it? No, no, no. Earlier podcast. I was there. Was I was there. And I remember being so let down because the, it wasn't a jumbotron by any means. It was basically Christmas lights on a screen. And I'm like, where the hell's Michael Jackson? This is bullshit. And, but I was like, but it didn't matter. Like, because as you remember it, and people who don't, like, Michael was the last, you know, the Madonna's, the Michael Jackson, but Michael was the last, like, Beatlemania, Elvis phenom. Like, yeah. when I saw him on TV, I would, I, I couldn't contain it. I was like, oh my God, it's Michael. And uh, so that, yeah, that was my first one. And my last concert before COVID took over was Fleetwood Mac. Okay. My and wife was at that Mike one. Mike Campbell was playing guitar and Neil Finn from Crowder House was uh, Lindsey Buckingham. Wow. So, and they played all, everyone's songs and it was amazing. So I got to see like Stevie Nicks sing Free Fallen and I got to see Neil Finn do Fall at Your Feet. Cool. It was wild, man. Yeah. I can't believe we were at the same show. Do you remember who was opening for Michael Jackson in 1983? No, 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 no. Audience. You do? Yeah. Wow. This is why it's I remember amazing. everything. That's crazy. I, I remember everything too, kind of. But when I only remember this so vividly is because the next show I saw, I thought it was going to be the same opening act because okay. Michael's opening act right. was, so, was so engaging and riveting. It was a juggler. Really? It was a circus juggler. That's very Michael Jackson. And just, I just remember it was like the, the sword, like the shiny swords and the flames. And oh, Dylan, I remember now. Yes. Oh my God, I remember now. Yeah. And then he, it was a while. I think he was like a white guy. And he, had, he was, I don't know, I think he, had, he was wearing red, some kind of, he had red stripes or red something. And, he, and then he got on stilts and it was, just, it was just this big hoopla thing. So when I saw Paul McCartney, it was the next ah. show and there was no opener. I was like, well, where's... Right. Where's the juggler? <laughs> I was like assuming that like, so, you know, there's a magician or a juggler right. or some kind of card this trick. This is how it works. Before concerts <laughs> That's not a bad uh, assumption to have as a child. That's pretty great. Michael Jackson. That's so, so. We, you and I are old. We were kids. Then. Yeah. I was, I was like. Grade one? I was like six. Yeah, six or seven. So, Paul, Michael, but when, when did you start? Um, right, playing music. Or well, writing? no. What I, I want to, I still want to camp on. Like, there's a moment where you take ownership as a as a listening audience as a child, where it's like I'm developing the fact that I like this song. I like this band. Like, I grew up on the Jackson Five and Motown. I loved Motown. Mm. I loved Prince, mm. and um, and I grew up on Jesus Christ Superstar soundtrack. I don't know how that happened. My family loved it, and it was around. Yeah. Right, so I had a kind of a strange. It was basically Detroit soul and like theater. Yeah, interesting. And uh, because my my dad had such a huge vinyl selection, I was really drawn to that forbidden thing of playing it when he was at work and using the needle and. Yeah. So it was a mixed bag, but it was um, Michael had, was had a huge impact on me and Prince. But it was when I heard a day in the life by the Beatles. It was the first time I was taken away somewhere else. Yeah, interesting. And so I'm curious to know if you have any like indent, indentations in your mind of, of music memory like that that you can recall. Uh, the day I learned, I wanted to learn how to play guitar was the day I, yeah, I, it was in my uh, living room 
and uh, uh, I've Just Seen a Face came on. Nice. And uh, th- and then right after that, the next song was a mixtape. And so I was like, I've just seen a face. I can't forget the time or place where we just met. I just love to hear the guitar moving and then hear him shove all those words together. And, and it was just something about it. It's like, I, 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 and then I rewound. I learned how to rewind and press play. So then I just rewound and press play again. And then uh, uh, I Feel Fine. Do you know that song? Um, goes down 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 uh anyway he that was one of the first recorded apparently uh notes of feedback so george goes and you hear like yeah so they kept it in like the i guess the sound people like the story goes you know the beatles folklore is so huge but people take that for granted those things they were going to cut it out but that was like i was like what's that sound yeah and then i found out it's like well that's when you have a guitar and you can go close to your Hmm. amp it's called feedback so i had never thought because while i was a sporty kid i I was just a living on herkimer street i I didn't know i you know music was just something that was happening but I, i wasn't like it wasn't really like you know, something I focused on or something I liked. So then I, my dad taught me like three chords and then I just played and played and played and played and played and played. And then all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to start a band. Nice. We're called the basement boys. So uh, you, athleticism was kind of the first thing that you were grabbing onto. It's neat that I have three kids uh, and I th- assumed my kids would be very athletic because I was, but I was only athletic because my older brother mm. Ryan was and my sister too. And our f- kind of like the fa- our, our extended family, but also all of my neighborhood kid friends. We that's what we would do. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate to sound like a boomer, but it's like there wasn't internet and and tablets and tons of video games. There were like video games weren't even invented at the time. Like we, the Commodore sixty four had still like we were already playing soccer and football and hockey in the in the playgrounds and in parks and riding bikes. So it's like. That's what we did all the time. Mm-hmm. We like wake up, eat food, and just like mm-hmm. call our friends or just hit the road. And then, so that was like my whole life. And then I found music, and then I learned how to play guitar. And then I was, and then my brother. So that, yeah, to answer, I, we can move on to the next question. But the last, <laughs> the really important thing that happened to me with my brother Ryan, uh, I love him so much. He said to me, uh, I said this at his wedding as well. He said. I don't. He was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be a football, like a star football player, like you, because he he played professional football. And he goes, Yeah, you, but you have a cross country runner's build. I don't. I don't <sighs> think you're gonna. Maybe you can make it as a kicker. And I was like, Do you die inside? I was like, That's yeah. I died inside. I was like, That's fighting words. And then he said, Why don't you just like you know play guitar? And he like learn like join a band. Like those those guys get you know lots of attention and love and girls like go crazy for you. And. uh and then he, then he turned the lights off. And I was like, okay, it's bedtime. Let's go to sleep because we were sleeping in the same room. And I just was like, yeah, guitar. Mm, wow. So that was it. That's awesome. Yeah. It's really, it's, it was like bing, bing, boom. Before we move on, do you remember where you were the first time you heard the opening intro to Van Halen's Jump? Uh, I'm asking you that because you have a Van Halen sticker on the back of your van, which yeah. I was very impressed by. Yeah, thanks. That's how I knew the fire was still alive in you. I got a Van Halen tattoo as well. Yeah, you do. Uh, Van Halen jump. I wonder when, when the Van Halen, I think it, was, it must have been uh, much music. Yeah. Cause it's funny cause I, I always harp on how shitty of an upbringing we had with our very tunnel vision music. And like, I don't need to hear rush ever again, you know, or like whole lot of love or just some of the songs that we were just, 
you know, we built the city on rock and roll. Oh my like, God, um, I hate that I'll, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Like I don't like meatloaf RIP, but I mean like there was so many songs are dead to me. Like I can't listen yeah. to sweet Caroline and all that kind of stuff. But uh, somehow Van Halen was okay. You're okay. Yeah. <laughs> Even I, though it's like, it's so hypocritical. It's an, it's, it's a great example, double standard example that I fully agree with you on, on okay. completely. Yes. Um, your style, man. I, you know, listening to it, um, it, it, it to me, it reads kind of like it's like you're journaling. There's, there's, it's of course it's artistic, of course it's musical, and there's musicianship there. But I just there's um there's like zero pretension in how you've crafted the music you make. So I feel like I'm kind of like breaking into your bedroom and reading your journal. There's a song called Divorce and Open D that I actually shot a video on the street with my friend Peter Michael Wilson and he and uh, it's just a stop motion. I'm kind of walking around and I'm standing still, but he's taking pictures throughout it. But it's about, you know, my wife and I, you know, it's hard to be in a relationship and it's hard to fulfill each other for forever and ever, mm -hmm. like five years, 10 years, 20 years. And it's, uh, so I, I wrote about it and I just wrote the song and Martin Tielli heard it and he goes, I want to play on this. Wow. Oh, okay. So he, he played on it and sent it to me. And I, it was, that was another aha moment. I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is shit's getting real. Like I gotta, right. I gotta really spend a lot of money and time to, to make this better and better all the time. So, uh, but it's really cathartic and it was really honest and raw. And it's like, I think I showed my wife, she doesn't listen to a lot of my music, um, when it's in, in process, and it's just the way uh, we work as a couple. And so some songs she really likes. Her favorite song of mine is a remix song called Conflict of Interest. It's on, it's a, it's a, the secret song on uh, the vinyl, but uh, on the download. Um, anyways, that, so yeah, to answer your question, like journaling is kind of, it's sometimes really easy to write sad songs or write like kind of like Hayden. Hayden's a real dude. I, so I, big guy for me, when I say certain things to musicians, I'm afraid they're going to react. Like when you, when you say to a pretty girl, Hey, you look like this other pretty girl. I'm like, no, I don't. She's ugly. And I don't know if it's going to offend anybody, but some, in addition to what I had said, there's something that something about your audio aesthetic that reminds me of early Sonic onion days mm -hmm. and Hayden. Yeah. And the and I mean that in the best way. And there's there's an Elliot Smith rawness and and like I can I can I feel like I can feel and hear and smell the room. It's very it's a very open echoey. It's an, there's an there's an envi it's something environmental about your sound and uh, I like it. Yeah, cool. I my only worry about my sound is that it's there is Motown, there is electronic stuff, there is folk and there is rock. Like it's, I'm now, it's too much for some people. Cause I like, I like, you probably like beach house as well. Yes. And it's a sound it's, or you said, uh, slow dive was another band that I thought of that, uh, just like uh, it's one thing, yeah. right? Like uh, Trinity, who's the band. I just, we just said cowboy junkies like that. It's you, you say cowboy junkies, you know what this, their sound is. My friends are in Elliot brood and my neighbors, Elliot, they're awesome. Mark and Steve shout outs. And they have, a, you, they, you start singing and they, you know, oh, that's Elliot Brood, yeah. that's their kind of vibe. But it's, that's my only like, oh, am I too eclectic with my stuff? Yeah, a lot of what I'm referencing was was more in the, more of the the, the last release. Um, On beside? Yeah, but you have a big discography, so I'm not going to pretend I know the whole aesthetic that you do. But what I've, what I've gotten into, uh, that's the song Lover for Sale. Yeah. Very good, man. Yeah. Yeah, and that, uh, 
Dan Embringham is the drummer from that one. Uh, do you know Boxcar Recording Studio? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's Gage Park and Cumberland. It's just a, a big, a beautiful, big studio. But so a lot of my songs I actually had, I had on hard drives so I brought over. And so he just opened them up. And then I just, so I sat in the studio with him, my friend Sean, and a drummer would just show up. Just like, oh, okay, drummer. And we would record, and then the next weekend, I would have a different drummer, and then the next weekend, I'd have a different drummer. So I recorded all these jams, because it was 52 songs, I needed to record it with a lot of drummers to make it real, to make them big. So so a lot of the drummers would just show up and like, oh, here's the song, and they'd like play along with it for a bit, and then like, okay, now... Like, so I luckily, you know, it would be great for something that you would do as well. It's, I, would, I would offer this as a, a, a such a fun present to yourself if you're if you're listening out there any musicians out there and you're writing at home and you're playing along with stupid garage or garage band or logic drums or or anyways bpm stuff that you are making yourself and the, you hire a good drummer mm-hmm. you hire a studio and the drums sound amazing through a ten thousand dollar mics mm-hmm. twenty thousand dollar eqs and everything and compression and I, I just sat in the booth with headphones on saying so okay, here comes here comes the chorus. Get ready. Okay, go to the toms. Here it comes. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's good. Okay, maybe add a bit of rim. Wow. Okay, add a bit of ride, and then like okay, it's coming out right. Three, two, and then or like break. Like, or like, okay, breakdown, breakdown, and then they just. You were band then, directing in real time. Directing. Amazing. In the studio. Never thought about that. And it was like I just sat there having a having a beer wow. and just I it, they were if I was to. If you ever to see me like self-actualized or like you on your best day, it's like, that's as a treat to myself. It was like, whatever it cost me, I think it probably cost two grand for, for whatever, like seven sessions or something. That's like a brave that. thing to do, man. It was so great. But that's, these drummers are like, yeah, they're so good. They you can, get a professional yeah. drummer. They don't yeah. need, they don't like, as long as your songs aren't like freaking Genesis or like, you know, then you'll yeah. get Steve McKay who just went and saw um, the Genesis cover band. Uh, he's a great drummer too, but like you, he was one of them. He played on 11 songs and he didn't even know like three of them. So, wow. Uh, anyways, that was, that's how, uh, I forget what we were, how we got on that topic, Me too. but that's a, that's a nice, uh, advice to anybody out there. So, you know, uh, referencing the song, leaving the band, you know, it's, it's about, it's a, it's a love letter to, and a kind of a dear John letter to by divine, right. You know, if you're, if you're a Canadian musician, you understand that, but by divine, right was a well-established band and they had, you know, crit- they had credibility and, you know, uh, Feist was, was in that band before you came on. So th- there's, there's definitely like levity or not levity, um, gravity to that name. Um, how hard, what led you to moving on and how hard was that for you? Uh, geez, you're really, really digging deep here, Rocky. That's what I do, man. Um, it was hard. It was a really hard decision to do, but it was, it kind of felt like it, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't easy. It was a crossroads, but I mean, like, you know, think about all your former decisions. You have to like, mm-hmm. you have to make them. You eventually have to, you know, make the call left or right. And, and you have to hope that your former decisions as you get older, like, was that the right call? Right. Um, and it was funny cause I just had in Canadian music, you, you, a lot of, if you're a professional, you get a lot of offers for other things. So I was offered to play in Broken Social Scene and in Holy Fuck, and I was in Holy Fuck, and then I 
left the band and I had our kid and I was like, hey, we just had a little, a little boy. He goes, I said, I was holy fuck. What are you guys doing? He's like, we're going to Coachella. We're playing Coachella. So it was just that crossroads. It was a perfect. I was like, I just, I remember like almost dropping the phone and then looking over at him who was just like, wow. Just kind of like, wow. Over. So I was like, I had to like, it was a real Pete best Beatles moment. Wow. And, uh, but by divine right, like, you know, Jose and I are, are best friends to this day. And, um, it, it it kind of felt right in a in a weird way, and he, his new band now he's still playing, and they're still mm -hmm. they have a double album coming out soon, and uh, Lish is uh, the bass player that um, it took over my spot, and I mean I took over for Brendan Canning, you know he, right. he did pretty good after that. Like mm -hmm. it's everybody that's played in BDR has you know loved their experiences, and but it, yeah, it's not it's not easy to quit a band for sure, especially one that's productive and and touring a lot yeah. but it was you know we weren't you know it was it wasn't easy when you're if you're making if i was making a lot of money i probably wouldn't have mm -hmm. you know a lot of our friends bands were um on salary so because they were making enough a year right, right. so then so then they wouldn't have they could say okay you know what we're gonna play 70 shows this year because we each need to get paid 50 grand each for the year you know like okay so we're all gonna pay, pay each other 50 grand just so we, we're retaining, you know. I've often wondered how that mm -hmm. how the whole thing shapes. That's out. how it does, and yeah. then like, but then like the right the songwriters get more, you yeah. know, for all their stuff. And if they're, but at least you know, it's like, hey, I don't have to like quit the band. I, right. I, 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 I'm I'm exclusive to you. Uh, so, I'm curious what your children are going to say to you one day, and and I do believe that one of them is going to honor that decision to to be a father. You know what I mean? Like and say, Dad, I know what you were doing, and you stuck around. Like that's 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 a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like being a father is the greatest thing I've ever done. That's and, I, and I didn't do anything to do it. I just, you know, my wife did all the work, but I know. being a dad and, and, and coming to fatherhood late is even extra special. Cause I could really take it in, Appreciate but like it, yeah. my kids are just there. I'm like, what the hell was I doing before I was a dad? Cause whatever it was, it was not, it wasn't this, <laughs> it wasn't good like this. Uh, so you got caught up in the, the massive, orbit of the broken social scene stars crew could then, it's a yeah, whole zip code constantine's yeah everyone's there royal city the Same. toronto was really bustling and and of course our peaches and feist and it, it was neat at that time because in 2000 to 2003 everyone was on an equal playing field like there was no one was blowing up except for royal city like they were the first and then like it was kind of like because they were, they got big in New York, and then they were not many people know about them because they were kind of quiet folk band, and then uh, and then things started to shake out. Um, so it's neat to see how where where that all yeah. kind of played out. But when By Divine Right finished touring with the Hip, they had such a crazy couple years that when they landed, everyone just was like get me out of the van, get me out of the band. Like I, I I'm dying to, it's like Feist. Like, I'm dying to write music. Right. And then Kenning's like, people are like, Hey, Brendan, play on this, play on this. And so he's like, okay, okay. Like, so it was just kind of, everyone was wanting to do so much stuff together with all these different people. That's so. a good point. It, you know, it, I feel like when Brooklyn was kind of showing its teeth, uh, Toronto musicians were having that same kind of, I don't know if the timelines completely line up, but Early two like what two thousand three to ten, there was like this like golden age of, of Toronto Canadian content, specifically yeah. Toronto. Sure, yeah, uh, that, that's pretty wild. Yeah, so we and we were kind of 
almost too early on that because we always say like we're too big for the you know the indies and we're too small for the majors like we're in this like it's weird middle ground there's many tiers even if you think about it now it's like you know the arkell is way up here and blue rodeo and like i think with the hugest bands in canada right now and uh you know and then you kind of work your way down and then there's these like i'm gonna go see plants and animals on friday and i'm gonna go see shad on saturday they're both playing at bridgeworks i don't know when this is gonna air anyways uh but it's these 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 bands are still touring and still and it's starting up again and and everyone's trying you know trying to at least make some income especially now after you know waking up after a two-year coma yeah uh, actually so the good good jump off point um i'm stoked to know that you're opening for chris murphy of sloan's uh project tons, uh yeah tons and he's with um buddy from inbreds uh should I let you struggle with the names? No, I wrote it down because I knew Mike O'Neill. <laughs> uh, um, and Sloan. Sloan was a huge band for me. I uh, st- still love them. That's incredible, man. How did that come about? Uh, First of all, when is the show and where is the show? Hockey, again. How did oh, it man, I got to start playing. It's like, you know what? Hockey is like to music what golf is to business. Yeah. Yeah. Canadian music, for sure. Oh, yeah. I could Yeah, I could tell you so many stories. Wow. How, do you, how do you know Strombo? Hockey. How do you know the Bare Naked Ladies? Nuts. Um, Mills Hardware, May 13th, is uh, the Dill plays first, and then Tons. And then other people are probably going to be going to Bridgeworks, or after that show, you can go to Bridgeworks and see Brad Germain's Golden Feather. H- Hamilton's uh, Golden Boy, Brad Germain, I want to say, because uh, Into the Abyss is his rec- record shop on uh, Lost. Oh, Street. that's him. Right. And, okay. uh, he's had so many bands. Marble Index was. Oh, was that. Like, okay. So he was he was a fixture at, at Cheapies. At Cheapies. Forever, that's, ever, ever, ever. that's the dude. That's gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And then he was in Dinner Bells with Tara Lightfoot, and he kind of bounced around with many different bands, CQ, and uh, so his new band is Golden Feather. They're kind of uh, with Steve Kiley, who has just left Monster Truck. The drummer from Monster Truck is now, yeah, so it's kind of, it's very Grateful Dead. It's very cool. vibey and dancey and jammy, if you like that kind of thing. I want to I want to see your show. <laughs> I, I, uh, you, Jeremy Wildman played on uh, yeah. one of your tracks. You, he was a regular here as well. A lot of your bud of his too. Yeah, he uh, he's a huge coffee guy. He's a foodie, and uh, yeah. him and, and Max and the crew like the first two years, and then everyone moves, and you know your neighborhood local changes. But uh, cool dude. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's shocking to me how many people you know. You, you can just pluck them like fruit. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. Maybe it's because I'm 45, and it's just I also was made a scene here. Or sorry, I was I didn't make. I was in a scene here. Went to Toronto, joined several scenes there, and then came back here. Yeah. So then I was got to do it again. So a lot of my friend Brandon is in town now. He's he was in Philly, and then in in Manhattan, and now he's here. And so he has he's works in music and manages. He's not the manager of the Nationals, he. Yeah. They came here. Sorry. So the, not, he's just left that band. He's record, he's managing the the members of the National separately. I have my own story with that guy. And uh, and throughout many other bands, but Broken Social Scene and Kevin Drew, he's managing them now too. And really? uh, Jenny Burkle and uh, Dan Edmonds, local guy, um, and Jasmine, another girl. But he he's uh, I forget what's just what we were just talking about there for a second there. Coming back to this scene here. So yeah, he so he has all these American connections that no one mm-hmm. around around here does. So it's, it's he has this neat thing that pe- that Canadian you know managers and musicians that are, that are cool. Brandon, what do you think about this? And what do you think of that? Because it's a whole other market. So when you're in Hamilton, when I came back, 
people are like, oh, so what's, what's Toronto like? What's playing the Rivoli? Like, what's playing that? Like, you went to China? Well, you know, what was Australia like? So it was neat to like, oh, okay, well, I, I have this. Yeah. I just, I was just, just going. I was just green light with my you know, pedal of the metal. I wasn't thinking about stuff because I'm just on tour and uh, yeah. like living this life. So when I, it wasn't until I came back to Dundas and Hamilton to, with a, with a boy and, and my wife to like, oh, I actually got to stop the, st- got off the, the, machine the yeah. rock and i got to process it all brandon what's his last name again uh reed brandon, brandon reed. reed i gotta write that down i gotta say hi to him um he be oh you, uh, he's been on my list for a while and i i i have him and his wife buried in my emails because we were they're fruities and i was gonna do a supper club with them and yada 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 he uh, actually he brought the national here with hayden and kevin drew and we closed St. James and boarded up the windows, and we were basically their food green room, and awesome. they they ate here. That was pretty cool for the for the for refugee the, show. That, yeah, uh, yeah, that yeah. was awesome, awesome. You, we, did you go to the show? Or were you here I, after? I, I was tearing down and cleaning up yeah. Alfredo sauce off the <laughs> those guys. Um, you enjoy being forty five? So far, so good. Yeah, I you know I don't like my back. <laughs> And it, it just all of a sudden like I'll sleep on it wrong or I'll sneeze wrong and my back oh, gives my out. I think it's really funny that as, as your kids, you can fall off a climbing toy and be fine. And then like now you just like turn the wrong way. Uh, but I, I think what's the truth is, you know, you, me, that person driving, like everyone has something, you know, someone has diabetes, someone has, you know, a bum knee, you know, yeah. we all, you know, we all have something and we all we just try to make the best of it, you know, despite it all. So, so is this the, uh, as we're winding down, we're 53 minutes out. I think we're going to be able to cap it at exactly 60 minutes. We could keep going just with the hockey stories <laughs> undoubtedly, but I respect for your time. Um, is this a one-off show for you? Or are you like, are you gearing up the band again and, and like going full? We have, uh, I have 40 songs that I really want to record. And I, as a musician, I would, I wonder if you like this idea too. This is my crazy idea. I want to record 40 songs at three, 40, I want to record them three different times each at three different studios. Two, then make the, doesn't sound too crazy when you think about like how other bands would do it, sure. like huge bands, but if I give you, let's say at the very end of the whole session, I've recorded our 40, 40 new songs, so uh, it's 120. I guess 120 songs. Let's just get past that number. And then we listen to have a couple listening parties. And I'm like, let's listen to the song. I mean, here's, okay, let's take one. Studio two, it's basically take two. Studio three, take three. And you're like, that Toronto studio sounds amazing. Uh, I'm so glad you did it three times. So you're like doing vocal comps, but with different studios and sounds. Yeah. And that's yeah. a great and idea. Bands. It's a great you idea. You do it with like, because like, I, I want to record everything with my band and then record it with other people and then record it by myself. It's, I, I know it sounds stupid. You're trying to torment yourself. You're like Daniel Victor from Never Ending White Lights. It took him seven years to do an album with all these different guys. Right. I, I thought about that guy once when I was doing my thing. He like, like lost what's 50 pounds and like went nuts. And he was just like, it was this labor of love that tormented him. And it took him like seven years to bang. A great first album. Actually, we opened for them at, not the Horseshoe, not even close to the Horseshoe, the, the Hamilton uh institution on in Corktown. Corktown. God. Um, we hit it off with this engineer who recorded that album, but he was telling stories like it was kind of what you're talking about. Like, what's the what's the most complicated way to do this? Yeah. And let's see how it shakes out. But I mean it worked. That's cool though, man. But I just I just like the 
you know, the concept, if you, if let's just say, I don't know, maybe jump, if you were talking about jump before, what if they recorded it in England? What if they recorded it in Australia and then, and, and in LA with different people, with different bands, yeah. different days, like, you know, would I love rock and roll by Joan Jett still be like, would we love that if it was recorded with like different players or with a slightly different amp, like it's those minutia it always, it, it's, have you heard the story about Rick Springfield tracking Jesse's girl? No. This is this is this kind of ties into that because this this happened specifically at this uh, studio. Um, his producers, like Bloodhound, were like really ill-tempered, violent, like mean dog was there. And as the tape rolled, and he was laying down the rhythm track for Jesse's Girl, the dog camped its snout right in his crotch while he was sitting down and the dog was known to bite and he actually liked to bite men's groins. So they, they press record. He starts tracking and the dog does that. And he had to sit there wondering if his nuts were going to get ripped apart for three minutes and 30 seconds. So whenever you hear Jesse's grill by Rick Springfield, just know that at that moment in that place at uh, sound city in LA, there was a dog in Rick Springfield's nutsack trying to do things. And, And, you know, Maybe the performance would have been different if there was no dog in another studio. That's that's a valid oh hypothesis. How do you remember that? Is this something that's just stuck? Uh, yeah, I just saw him in an interview. <laughs> Fifty six minutes, man. I'm gonna. Um, no, we can. Yeah, whatever. If you have more questions, well, how, well, how, are you, how are you? How are you doing? I'm just. Uh, I'm doing in general in life. Well, I mean, like, do you want to keep going a little bit longer, or you want to? Yeah, I think there's. We still could get a. We can go a couple more. Okay. Couple more periods. Couple more periods. That was my hockey reference. Yeah, um, we, can go, we can go overtime. Well, there really is no time, but I'm just trying to be respectful of you. Um, it has been the first time we've hung out in 25 years, so I don't want to like blow it. <laughs> um, where do you want to go? See, like th- this is the this is the freedom of having a guy like you on. You're easygoing and you're you're a communicator. So I want to I want to let's let's see what, where you're at. What do you? Is there anything that you want to? I, I, off on. I want you to tell me about the Hamilton music scene and how, what, you know, the Hamilton music scene, every local music uh, industry needs pick-me-ups and, you know, uh, spearheaders and, and you know, uh, rallies and all that kind of stuff to get going. And then a freaking pandemic hits yeah. and closes our, the best, arguably the best yeah. part of play, the same Hollywood. Um, just cause it just had such a feel like Casbah's great. Mills is great. Bridgeworks, all that kind of stuff. But this ain't had something special. Yeah. Um, so now what, how do we, how do you rebound, mm. you know? And, and now, you know, even Brandon was mentioning to me, he goes, once the floodgates open back up again and people are allowed to tour, every band's going to be on tour. Every, like mm-hmm. everyone's dying to play. Every crew is dying to play. Every venue wants people to come or bands to play. But the problem is now, like I've been to so many shows recently because I'm just a show going guy. I was probably an anomaly for many 40. I love that you do that. Something year olds, but it's, uh, there's not like, it's only 30, I would say 50% capacity, sometimes 70. Like some shows are like sold out. Like the, the BSS show the other day at Massey hall was, uh, I think it was sold out. It was pretty freaking packed. How was that show by the way? other than Justin Peroff not being on the drum kit, that was like the most shocking thing. So back backstage in the, in the basement, there's a new backstage area down there and the band's like, yeah, 
Justin wasn't playing with us. He'll he'll be back. He'll be back. But they had two different drummers: the Andrew from the Bar Brothers and this other girl from down south. She came up and destroyed mm. three or four songs. But my question to you and to Hamilton is: what, like, how do we? Even my my wife and I were talking about how does how do we bounce back? You know, I think uh, well, Pier Eight is going to have a pretty kick-ass outdoor venue. I had. Um, I can't think of his name right now, but he was the head head Jason Thorne. Jason Thorne, thank you. He he. I'm just your guy. I should just be at all your podcasts. Yeah, have someone Please, here. I would just, love that. I'll just shout in your ear. Great guy, and he he was you know behind that, and uh, that's going to be huge. Uh, I think that the Tivoli finally got greenlit. It's going to have a proper oh, wow. venue after sitting there for twenty years. I can't even believe how long it's been. You know, I I was I was lucky enough to do live shows at the Tivoli in theater. Cool. Uh, I did about four shows there. And that was amazing. And it's just sitting there waiting to be used again. Yeah. But that's happening. So so on a on a practical, pragmatic level, we need more venues that are that are great. I think um Hamilton is incredibly communal and familiar. It's the it's the smallest big town ever. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to kind of rally together and make a concerted effort to to, to fight for live music again. Like, like like we need to kind of have our own like Laurel Canyon movement and go, mm-hmm. who needs help? We all want to play. Let's let's force it to happen. Like the guys from uh, I forget his name. He's the Tara Lightfoot's manager. He was Sonic Onion. He's behind Tim Pot. Is it? We need we need like that Tim that Tim spirit where it's like, hey guys, we're gonna make a concerted effort. Meet here at this part of the park, and we're all gonna play a show. Mm. And just kind of like force a scene to kind of come again. Because I don't. Because if you wait for it to organically trickle, it may take longer than we want. Yeah, you kind of like have a have a big group and just say, "Here's what we're going to yeah. do." Well, that's basically what Supercrawl kind of is. You know, get get everyone together and and you know, but you, you know, getting different bands come in from other out of town also helps. But. You know what I want to do? I want to get. I want to team up with the right people, and I want to break those impenetrable doors down called the Dundon Castle. Mm. Why we don't have, uh, you know, like a tea in the park kind of Lollapalooza vibe on that property? Yeah. And having like, where would you put the stage? Just curious. I'd put it right in front of, right in front of the, right in front of the freaking place. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's literally on the water on a main dragway. There's parking for days. There's space for days, and it could facilitate food and other venues and you could do like Shakespeare in the park. You could do, I, I don't know what you could do, but the Royal family still owns it. But, but that is a, that's, that could be a Trinity Bellwoods mm-hmm. and why it's not. I'm not sure I know why, but I would love to make that an annual thing where like you get some kick-ass bands and you just post up for a day. Yeah. Did you, I, I saw Aaron, uh, Aaron D'Alessio young rival, yeah, he played there, but it was just there was a stage and some lights. I think there was like three solo acts. It was very well. That's encouraging. You're saying it was encouraging. Yeah, it was very. It was what you're talking about, but very light. So picnic blankets and and uh, it was like a Saturday. I for, I think there was a flea market there too. It was a bunch of like you know, group of seven billion was selling their you know murals and and there was a bit of food and stuff. You know what? Let me let me kind of throw the question back at you. I'm I'm just. Kind of, you asked me the question that I brought. Well, I'm kind of judging my own answer because it was like, a, I'm like, I have to be thinking on my feet and it's, it might be a bullshit answer, but I think what I'm realizing is like, I don't know if we'll ever see a Seattle music scene again or another Laurel Canyon scene or Greenwich Village or Toronto 
like like we've seen in the past because we don't need to be as much of a street gang as we needed to be before because everything is just so much more accessible mm-hmm. and satellite and and kind of electronic in terms of and maybe I'm simple oversimplifying but you needed to be in a certain 30 mile zone and proximity of a scene. And you guys were, people were always living and renting in the same area and playing the same venues and the same struggling together and flyers going out on, you know, the sunset strip. Like there was a, there was a proximity attached to where the talent lived Mm -hmm. and, and that's how organically a scene was born. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we, if I don't know if that would ever shake out that way ever again. Yeah. And uh, part of it's because everyone, not everyone, the people are talking about how if you can't go to the show, that's okay because you'll see the clips after. Right, right. And should we go tonight? You know, let's let's look at the pictures and say, oh, that looks like fun. Yeah. Look like a good time. So I'm, I'm not. Do you do you somewhat agree with what I'm saying? I, I do. I, I yeah. think it's a barrier of entry of trying to have an organic scene. I, I don't know. In a way that we're since that we're all so super connected that mm. it's it's you it's a false sense of connectivity that. And, uh, you know, community that we are a community. Yes, we are. There's one thing to be a community on your phone and online. Yeah. And, and that's great because that's what we need. You know, you need to like, you know, be sharing videos and sharing theater posts and sharing this and, and be promoting stuff. And that's what we need more of is, is people like you and me that are like, hey, check this out and check this out. But we also, you also need to put your money where your mouth is and like show up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think of all my, like the, I have this little tiny page on Facebook called all the cool things. And at the start of every month, I do a collage of what shows I'm going to go to, or I think I would like to go to. Right on. And, and, uh, it takes Dude, like, help yourself, man, please. It takes a couple minutes that, uh, I'm good. Um, and I think the, what, what I, what my, um, after watching it all, after doing it for years and years and years, I realized the one thing that's missing is, is audience. Yeah. People not going to shows. And I just, sometimes I'm like, I don't know why. I don't know why. And then at the times I'm like, well, if I was just Joe Schmo living on Garth and I came, I, I don't know who's the band at Mills. I don't know that band very well. I don't know what, where Mills is, where to park. I don't know who to go with. And I don't know, it, and the band might be loud, or they might be quiet, or maybe I want to rock out, and there it's a it's a girl with a harp, you know, or maybe it's, you know, I want a girl with a harp, and it's a metal band, like it's mm-hmm. like I see why that where the barriers are, and you know, I have kids, I have to work in the morning. It's like some like the shows start at ten o'clock. I, I you know you, you know all the shows you and I have played at and gone to. It's like the opening act goes on at ten, yeah. and then the next band, and then the headliners going at midnight, yeah. and then my boss in Dundas, he's like, why? I, <sighs> I just want to go to a show at seven. I want to be home by nine thirty and be in bed by ten. Like, why can't I see a show from seven to nine? You know, I go to dinner at six, see the show from seven, maybe to ten, and like that's awesome. It doesn't ha- like because other countries all over the world they don't do like late, late, late shows. And Mills Harder was has always been great because they, but it's only I love Tim and everybody there, but only the the it's. By it's zoned, and I think there's tenants upstairs, so it has right. at ten fifty nine. You can't have music, oh yeah, okay, which is wonderful for people that want to go to earlier shows, sure. and it's wonderful for people that want to go to another show, right? So you just go to the first show. It's eleven o'clock. Do 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 do. Hop in your car or Uber or ride your bike to the next venue. It's like 
Okay, the headliner's on in half an hour. That's cool. You know, so if you wanted to, so anyways. Joey Landry, Landreth is playing and I'm, in June, I think. I want to go to that. But I've actually never been, been to Mills. But um, I call it the record store. I, I call it. I'm, I'm coming up with that now. But it's kind of like the record store analogy where, like, there's a tactile experience missing, uh, a visceral human tactile experience. Like, yes, you can still experience it. But, like, we went to Sunrise Records and, like, we bought the album, and then as yeah. soon as that cellophane came off that thing, and we wiggled our cover art out, and we looked at the liner <laughs> notes. That, I see you doing that. Yeah, that was really good at it too. Uh, there was, uh, it was like high, it was like finding treasure. Like, okay, man, who who played on that track? And oh, I'm starting to recognize that bass player. I I I know his sound now. And now that the liner notes is telling me that's Pino Palladino, like. Oh, he played on Richard Ashcroft. So now he also played with Lenny Crabb. Like, there, and then like waiting in line six hours for Metallica tickets, mm-hmm. or you know Ozzy's album. Like or, I did, or Edge Fest. Yeah, yeah, I, I did those things, and it's like I, you don't need to do that anymore. And and so you, that's an undeniable culture shift. That's a the paradigm has shifted. Yes, shifted. So. I think we, Hamilton would have to be incredibly intentional and roll back. Um, the clock and go, we're going to do this gorilla style again and meet me at the park. We're going to play. Mm-hmm. So that's my, that's my long answer about that. But I do, I do miss record stores. I mean, yes, you can still find them, but they were ubiquitous at a time. They were everywhere. Yeah. Like, and, and now are you, uh, how do you listen to a lot of your music now? I listen to it, uh, a lot in my car cause I love driving and I listen to it. Uh, what do you have? We're not judging. Do you have like uh, satellite radio in your car or do you just radio or you CD? I have a, I have a massive, you know, music library on my, on my iPhone. And, but, but I hate that because, because I, there was a, there was about a four year pit that I was in where I wasn't buying new music because CDs were getting phased out and then MP3, MP3 became a thing. And, 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 I, and I got really busy professionally as a chef and I, I just wasn't going out buying music. And I was like, what's the freaking point? I can't listen to it anymore because I, I didn't have my, you know, my sound blaster or whatever. And so I still don't have a physical set of speakers that it's like, this is my music listening area. Yeah. And I, I, I want to change that. So, um, yeah, your dad would would be happy if you did, right? Yeah, get the record collection, yeah. get the stereo, and with the Bluetooth speakers now, there's like this couldn't be a better time right now to listen to music and have all that at our fingertips. When you and I were kids, at going to Doctor Disc and Sunrise and HMV and at uh, you know Limer's Mall and all that kind of business, you would have um, all you could buy a CD for for twenty dollars mm-hmm. for that had ten songs on mm-hmm. it. And now for for twenty dollars you can have every song know. that's ever been recorded ever. And you think back, like twenty bucks was a lot of money back then. Yeah. And you 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 would only know maybe a couple of the songs. Yeah. And maybe you heard the one song. My my favorite story, my friend Tom Flood, um I don't know if you know Tom, but he's no. a, a cycling advocate in town. He's a fucking blast. But I told him the story, and he was dying at the Capitol. He, 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 I rode my bike from Herkimer to, I was a paperboy of a Hamilton Spectator. Shout out to the Spectator. Nice. Paperboy of the Year in 1989. I don't nice. Know, no one would rag. Nice. Got to Cheapies. Was mortified to talk to anybody, but I loved In Excess. I knew they were called In Excess. Thank you. So I found the, the, the tape, you know, with the big freaking plastic thing, walked oh, over. Oh, the long, yeah. And then... I didn't want to say anything. I was like, I found the band. This is it. Boom. 
It's like I had ten dollars in my pocket. Bam! I was like, whatever. It was nine ninety nine. I was like, this is great. I got the cheap one because it was like a bunch of in excess. Got home, press play. Nope. Fast forward. Fast forward. Got to the end. Turned it around. It was like, where's my song? Where's my song? Wasn't there. I was like almost in tears. And then my dad's like, what's wrong? I was like, well, the, I bought the NXS album and the song's not on there. He goes, was there other albums on there? I was like, in the thing? I was like, yeah. Next day, got my bike, again, all the way back to Jeepies. Found it, went up again, like an idiot, didn't what? ask. Bought the next okay. one, got home, pressed play. Still, it wasn't on there. Finally, the third day, I, this is why Tom's dying, like dying on, on the ground, dying. And, and I got back third day. Got and it was the last tape there because I had just bought the other two, right. and I bought an excess kick. I was gonna say it's got to be kick. And yeah. I got home, and then it was just like uh, guns in the sky. Yeah, I was like, yeah, this is it. And like, never tear us apart. And like that album was a jam. Absolutely. I think I think I threw out the other ones. I just. Well, what I don't understand what happened. I bought the I bought the earlier their first two albums before kick. Oh, I see what you're saying. So there was music, but it wasn't. The music you were looking for. Yeah. I gotcha. I, I was got too excited about my story. But you in, inadvertently ended up with a collection of in excess stuff though. <laughs> yeah. But it was, that was what you're saying. It's like, yeah, you didn't, you would, we'd buy stuff, but didn't. It like, was a mystery. It was, it was chaos. Yeah. You it was what, chaos. You don't know what you're going to get. I remember uh, there was, we were, I went to Assumption High School as well. Uh, we, we did a stint in Burlington and uh, there was this kid. He was just in and out of juvie. Comes in first, first period religion class. He goes, I'm going to sunrise at lunchtime today and I'm stealing a bunch of shit. Who wants something? Oh my God. I'm like, how much? He goes five bucks a CD. I'm like, okay, get me Siamese dream by special. I still have the out by old Billy Corgan, you know, oh, $20, $20, but um, just, you know, just those kind of things. It's like, I miss that. And wow. We sound like 44 year olds lamenting know, about, right? about stuff, but it's a different time. There's a charm. There's a charm to that stuff of just hunting down and finding and, and taking it home with you and yeah. smelling it and, and just like it becoming your album for and that. The hunger and the yeah. hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Not- what, what, um, I mean, the nineties, regardless of the mass corporate, uh, pushing on us of, of product, mm-hmm. was still an exciting time musically. Uh, who was your band in the nineties? Who did you identify with? Uh loved well yeah, like the main three. Like loved I saw Nirvana, loved them, uh Pearl Jam, of course. Uh Stone uh, Stone Dole Pilots, a tiny tiny music from the yes. Vatican gift shop was like to this day I listen to it still. Yeah. It's Soundgarden Super Unknown and oh. listen to that. That those two albums were really, really important to me. And, Toadies. I listen to Toadies. And nice. I, I have satellite radio in my car, and there's a channel called Lithium, and so it yes, plays. I know like, it. it plays yeah. all the all the all deep those. cuts. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, but of course, like the guilty pleasure of you know Our Lady Peace and Tea Party yeah. and, and I Mother Earth. Like you know, because you're. But the thing is, I feel like whenever I go back and listen to that stuff now, or listen to it on the radio, still listen to Q107, hear the hear like car commercial and this commercial and this band and it's 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 what it would make makes me feel is lost i just feel a bit too like okay i'm listening to tool now and now i'm listening to this and now i'm like who am like i remember living on the mountain when i was you know when i was first driving and i think i was like a 16 to 19 year old hamiltonian kind of musician who am i in this world right. and then that for some reason those stations even though they were supposed to try to connect me to something it made me feel more lost and more, more homogenous more generic mm. and then it wasn't until 
I think it was because it was just so, I, I don't know, because I still like eclectic music. I like listening to Johnny Cash and, you know, Underworld and Otecra and, and uh, I don't know, Broadcast and Radiohead and Beck. I, I, it's a, a bit of everything and Hayden. But it's it, when listening to that stuff then uh, was, was really special. It really was. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It really was. To, to, to know that there was a thing called Seattle happening, you know, it was like, I remember my dad came home and I was singing my heart out to a song, playing guitar, my little Les Paul studio and jamming on, I think it was Boston. And my dad came in, you know, and I was like so embarrassed. And he was like, oh, you sound good, bud. And, and he goes, I got something for you. And he, uh, Starbucks had just opened on Fairview attached to Chapters. And he brought me that iconic green cup from Seattle. Oh, wow. And he gave me an Americano and I almost spit it out. I'm like, what the this is, it was disgusting, but I, I kept that cup in my room because it was like Seattle, man. Like it was like the coffee started then. Yeah. And like, look at you now with the coffee. Right. And, 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 and it was like, oh, it was just, it was just like this iconic, uh, you know, thing, but um, it was just cool to know it was happening. But, but it's strange though, because I never really, and this is worth talking about because this is, this is historical as musicians as well. Pearl Jam, undeniable. Nirvana, undeniable, but I was still kind of figuring out who I was and still was very scared and insecure. I was in grade nine. It wasn't until grade 11 when Siamese Dream came out mm-hmm. where I was profoundly blown away. I saw the video for today mm-hmm. and I went, I don't know what this is, but I need to be a part of it. This is my band. Yeah. And then I really got into Alice in Chains afterward, this dark, gloomy, like melodic, you know, but it was the pumpkins that to me, they were the alternative to alternative. They were this Midwest Chicago mm-hmm. alternative thing. That was like, these are the guys. Yeah. And it, and that's the power of music videos. Yeah. And again, like we should just call this the boomer chat because searching for CDs and, and watching videos. I'm open to starting another prog- podcast, by the way, that that's they got a very nice ring to it. Boomer <laughs> chat. Anyway, go ahead. It's it, that it, those videos, like the the power, and we were talking about gatekeepers before we started recording, the power of being a booking agent by p- picking where bands go and, and who gets to open for who and right. all these shows. Like those those VJs and the people that were like, you know, now we're going to play Green Day. This is a band called uh, Gin Blossoms. Should we put it on? Nice. Okay. And like, uh, you know, the Jayhawks. Actually, one of the Jayhawks is a, a Hamiltonian now. He's a neighbor. He did, that's really? Blue, yeah. He's awesome guy no shit um i'd like to know how that happened i gotta like i know i'm gonna i've already name dropped enough tonight (laughs) no keep going it's good it makes me feel cool um but the 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 music videos were they were important and they really made a difference for for a lot of these bands and for us as kids just watching this stuff we're like like we all watched power hour and oh yeah wedge like pepsi power the wedge was like that was like next level when i got to host wedge with my band it was it was did you yeah at the very well, it was like 2003. It was probably one of the last ones, and I, uh, the producers, gave us two songs to pick. I was like, I thought we're, ta- I thought this was a takeover, was like a so weird Al Yankovic takeover. Yeah, I said it right to the people there because it wasn't. We weren't on air. I was like, how many? So we're playing. It was like uh, that's amazing. Butthole Surfers and Flaming Lips and this, 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 this. I was like, okay, cool. Like, what? We're playing your song, your video, and it's called Hugger of Trees. And we're gonna, so, what do you guys? So we're like, should we do Sonic Youth? Should we do Stereo Lab? Like we're all like looking at each other, like I want to hear this. I want to do this song. And I was like, I was just. Oh. You made it on the wedge. That's cool. Yeah, first I time it. I saw Dinosaur Junior was on the wedge. 
was like, oh man, yeah. this is interesting. And it's neat that like you, they have that like connection, right? Yeah. The, the band and you, you can imagine the video. Yeah. Yeah, because we could we could go through the roller. I can smell my I can smell the my bedroom when I hear certain albums. But I, I remember, yeah. you know, uh, Siamese Dream is one of those for <laughs> and Gish. Oh my! Oh God. my God, dude! Yeah. And and I re- I remember my buddy of mine. I don't know if you remember the name. His name Ryan Winterfield. He he came from Sir John A. Anyway, we okay. it was Halloween night. No, it was Devil's Night. It was Devil's Night, nineteen ninety seven. And my buddy's dad got in a car accident. And we were all like all spooked and it was devil's night. And then melancholy and the infinite sadness released, um, their first single. Um, what, tonight, tonight. No, what the rat in the cage? What the oh, hell yeah. is it called? Bullet with butterfly wings. Yeah. Like, the world is a vam. And it was yeah, like, and it was like, Oh my God. It was, I felt like I was in like a, a scary movie, but it was like visceral. I remember when the Foo fighters played their first show on SNL, the party I was at in high school stopped and we watched the performance. Wow. Like those, those things are, you know, very special. And, and, and I don't want to feel bad about reminiscing like this because like when someone talks about when they saw the Beatles for the first time, that's not something to laugh at. Like that's, that's a cultural thing. Like we mm. experienced a very cool cultural thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. How, I don't know how we can ever explain this to people without sounding I know. old like, and, and what, like, and how do you? How do we do that now? How can we recreate that? Because neat, like I like your Dunder and Castle idea. How do we recreate like some of these feelings that we're talking about? Like, because you know, Mark at Doctor Disc is doing a great job, and Into the Abyss and Revolution Records. There's a lot of great record stores around that are still maintaining that visceral mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. and the smell. And now they have clothes too. Some of them, and and like, uh, but they're like keepers of a lost art. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I have a pretty. It's funny. It's a, it's a convergent story of, of where we were and where we were heading. It was 1997 and Metallica's load had just come out. 96, I think it came out. Was and it we called load loaded load and then loaded. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm laughing. Cause I'm also making fun of them. It's okay. We were out front at cops call, see him, you know, smoking, waiting, waiting to go in. And this random stranger comes up to us and goes, Hey, you guys big fans. We're like, yeah, he's like, okay, well I'm uh I'm Metallica's webmaster. This was when internet was like three minutes old. <laughs> he goes, we're trying to get their fan club, have an online presence, and uh, we'll make you a deal. If you hand out pamphlets during the opening band who was corrosion of conformity, we'll get you backstage. You're like, yeah. So that's exactly what we did. And we met Metallica, yada, yada. I still have the backstage passes. But it was, it was that crossroads of going to see a band and waiting online, but also contributing to this new machine. Yeah of online thing. And it was like, that was the crossover. Yeah. It, took, it took a long time to get to where we are, obviously, but it was like, that was the beginning. It was crazy. And going right back to the start of our conversation, you said yes to something mm-hmm. like you just, like someone came up to you, you proposed this idea. You're like, looked around like, yeah, let's, let's do this. And then, you know, a, you put yourself out there to be at that show. Yeah. And then to, for like, just for the chaos theory of like, what's going to happen? Like if you, if you walked the other way, you wouldn't have met that guy. Right. Like it's just, it's life will always blow me away for stuff like that. Like, like if you decided to call somebody else, I wouldn't, we wouldn't be chatting with this right yeah. now. Like, you know, if I didn't turn that corner and go into the Rivoli, I wouldn't have met my wife. Like it's just like, there's all these yeah. story after story after just like happenstance. I'm a curator of those moments. I'm kind of a fatalist that way. I'm like, no, I know I'm supposed to be here because I know every step that got me to here. Mm. And like, 
I, I, I kind of have this tension between happenstance and fate, but, but yeah, some people don't believe in fate or like you make your own destiny. But like, I also just like, I think it's both end. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I also like, uh, the carpe DM, like YOLO. Like I know it's both of those are so played out, but then it's like, Oh, yeah. carpe DM sees it. Yeah. Okay. YOLO, like you only live once. Okay. It's like, yeah, I agree with both of those. Why are we, why are people making fun of those catchphrases? Is it cause it's too cl- cliche or are they just, or it's just easy for them to do that. Cause to me, it's like, that's, those are two of the things I live my life yeah. by. And I'd like to say yes more. It's like more. Yes. I'm with you. Unless and it's like, Hey, let's go kill that guy. <laughs> here's, here's another <laughs> thing that. that I've gotten in my older age was in terms of like my character and, and character flaws that I've tried to run from it was, was just the simple truth of just show up. Mm-hmm. If you own something or if you're needed, or if you know, someone needs you show up. Mm-hmm. Cause I, you know, and that's, I mean, we're now we're completely digressing, but that's okay. That's the whole point of this podcast. Cause I, you know, I want to talk about life as well, but, um, that kind of fits in with that whole thing with me as like, as a new marching order for myself is like, have the courage to ask people yeah, like you to come on, mm-hmm. show up for the responsibilities that you have and, um, keep, and- keep fighting for what you, what you've been gifted with. Oh yeah. Well, Cause we all have been gifted this, this life. And give a shit too. I think it's like not to swear or anything like that, but just give a care. Like, like mm. that's what like Jason Thorne is doing. Yeah. Just like I'm a city planner for Hamilton. Like, uh, what, what if we do this? And what if we do this? What if we do this? Like actually making stuff happen. Like, it's, and and not just do, being the status quo because that's really easy. It's really easy. I was watching this Charlize Theron, uh, uh, Seth Rogen movie. She's going to be the president of the United States, um, and she, he's just an old old friend from high school anyways they meet later oh i know what you're talking but about yeah. she has a breakdown she's like i just want to just i just want to not give a shit anymore i just want to like lay on my couch and not give a shit about anything like everybody else mm. and then it was just it was just neat to like he to hear that as like oh yeah like some people that are just tr- like are working so hard that the politicians mm-hmm. and like those municipal counselors like that's it's a hard job yeah, man. and they don't have to go as hard as they are going because they're just getting lambasted online yeah, yeah. and and in person, and it's dangerous for their for their families and stuff. But they're just tr- caring, and they're showing up, and they're and they're and they're doing. So it's I have a I have a lot of respect for people that are are uh, in the arena, are in the arena, yeah, yeah. and then just and hitting the green light and just yep. saying, you know shake you know getting up and dusting themselves off and trying again. So you know I, I you know it's not to be self promoting, but I am proud of myself as you should be proud of yourself that we didn't give into the great fade. Like we weren't content. I couldn't even be content with a paycheck if I wanted to, because I'm a small business owner. Like I I still don't make adult money, Mm -hmm. but I'm free to do what I want to do, but I'm still choosing to build. And I, and I think that is, uh, that's a success into its own self, but I want to hop on you because, um, I can tell you got a good heart and you have a conscience and you, you wield up um, the power of community. You know, a lot of people, Mm -hmm. a lot of people that have a platform. Um, Have you given any thought to parlaying that into not advocacy? Cause that's such a kind of an over just ad nauseum word, but what else have you played with in your mind of, rallying behind and pushing something up a hill that, that maybe we don't know about outside of music. I can't tell you right now. Cause it's something so exciting that I can't tell you. So there's something brewing. Yeah. That's great. 
as outside of of me personally but it's it's really exciting and i think that they're there this is the right time to do that because hamilton's rebuilding and yeah. every every city is rebuilding but it's um i think it's the you know we all we all need to rally behind the, the next generation and mm-hmm. the generation after that yes. i think that's what's interesting and but yeah you and i i'm i'm proud that you're doing this you're on episode 26 like i'm Thanks, i'm man. proud that you're still writing and 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 recording music and wanting to record and, and me too. It's like, it's not, it's again, it's also that like, uh, another way of just believing in yourself Mm -hmm. and that whole, like you've heard it by a million people saying like, you know, if you, if you like it, then someone else is going to like it. You know, if you care, if you, you know, you have to, to stop listening to the voices inside your head that are like, you know, cause it's so easy to be self-critical and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and a lot of times all that takes is having a buddy to listen to oh, that's and good. Having, a, having yeah. someone else to say, you know, this is pretty good. Like, so, you know, record 20 songs and release 10, you know, or record 10 and release one. Cause it's now you don't have to release albums. You can just release a single, a single at a time. That's my plan. So many people do, do that. One or two songs every quarter and have an album over a year. Yeah. And you have so many people that are now like great, like that threshold recording studio, Mike here, like mm-hmm. he, he does like Crowley's like, they record there too, and he uh, Cohen works there. They they do all their mixing, and Steve Pitkin from Elliot Brood over in uh, Kirkendall, he does all the mastering. Like it's these they they don't have to think about it's just this big thing and this big tour and this and uh, t-shirts and all this yeah. stuff. You just like just a single here, and they just and make it awesome, right? Like so, it's I think that's what we all need to do: just make your stuff awesome, yeah, and 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 push each other up, like lift yeah. each other up. Cause there's a lot of bands that I've seen, like they're, they promote their own shit, but they're not like this band's coming to town. I love them. Come and see it. You know, right. you know, elevators, new song is dope. Like, check it out. Like, you know, good band. sometimes you don't see Arkells doing that. I don't want Arkells sometimes do, but it'd be nice if every band mm-hmm. was it's it, like it, every year promote at least three bands that and that's how you rally you know, right like, yeah I, I, I get you every band promoted three bands then yeah nabby from elevator was a barista here for a couple of years awesome band i saw her the other day she was at capital she's she's still working there yeah she still she owns it that's her oh, so good. she so it's called daddy plastic vintage i think Daddy's she took over plastic. o's uh yeah. space um i'm gonna base my questions on how much more of your drink you got left so i don't keep you hostage okay <laughs> uh, to the audience, I just signaled I have half my uh, samosa. Darling samosa. No, it's not samosa. Mimosa. Mimosa. I've always <laughs> said that. I'm like, uh, I said samosas, oh, and someone's like, that's what you eat. I was like, oh, yeah, mimosas. So I'm, I'm a little bit of a weirdo that I'm, I'm kind of self-tormented in the sense that I, I love music. I love being a chef. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll open a mom and pop shop and make hot sandwiches and my kids will work with me. Or maybe I'll just... I'm tormented because I'm like, who the, what, what the hell do I really want to do more than the other? And I, I don't know if there is, so I'm going to do it all, right? But there's something, there's, there's another component of me that's really far outside of the spectrum that people are like, what? But like, since I was a boy, I have always been fascinated with military, soldiering, not blowing shit up, not killing people, but like the ethos and the brotherhood and the tradition of military. To this day, I still think about like, well, maybe, you know, I got till 56 to enroll as a reservist. Like, I love the soldiering thing. Mm -hmm. It's in me. It's never left. Okay. I'm curious, is there anything creeping around in Dylan Hudecki that would shock people that that is still kind of has an ember going like, 
hey, maybe one day, and it'd be like shocking to someone. Oh, like a full career? But like, maybe not, like a- I mean, I don't know if we could, have, I mean, we could do a full career at this point in Pivot, but I mean, enough of a, a substantial hobby at a minimum that that would be like, oh. Uh, I own about 50 uh, vintage 1982 to 1986 He-Man characters. You amazing man. Is that a curveball enough for you? I'm gonna make a, I want to make a stop motion video with them, and you might like this too. I don't care about the weapons or like the the packaging or anything, so it's just like just the guys wearing their like outfits. I can still smell battle damage He Man's chest from the cap guns, and I can smell Moss Man right now. Yeah, I'm in 1984 at a birthday party. <laughs> I for the audience, I'm gonna pull up my. He-Man I love I love that you said. Do that. you want to come over sometime and absolutely and play He Man? I dude. I, Okay, can we just can we just regale the the golden era of of, of look at you with these toys, the wonder of of eighties era toys and cartoons, dude? You're not fooling around. So tell the audience what you're looking at. Well, I'm looking at about at least ten rows, five to six across of He-Man characters on my table on on Dylan Hudecki's table, and he has all of the heavy hitters from the He-Man universe, and. I recognize at least two thirds of these had Stinkor and what the Stinkor. So many great characters, and I would love to have been at these business meetings when they were naming some of their guys yeah. because it's just or like Skeletor, yeah, yeah. Stinkor, exactly. Uh, Beast Man, Beast Man uh, was a Merman, pretty like, iconic. He for was me. like the Mermaid Man. Uh, Moss Man was always Mossman, interesting He-Man. to me. Okay. We're going. We're going off the rails now, which is hey, you which is a wonderful thing. So let's. It's nineteen eighty six. You run home from school. Here's what I want to know: What's the snack you go for, and what's the show you turn on? Uh, graham crackers with peanut butter okay. on top, big protein and a snack. <laughs> uh, possibly cheese or crackers, maybe fruit. But that was like my mom would have had it out. Right? Okay. So she's she's the oh mom. you have that kind of mom and chips ahoy possibly too, and I would have put on. Would you say 86? Yeah. I probably would have put on uh, some after school show. I'm just picking an arbitrary. Yeah, because I just, I, I think about <clears throat> after school stuff. It was with my, my younger brothers. Like, so we had like a second family. My parents took like a seven year break, and then my brother Jackson and my brother Elliot were born. So we would watch like, you know, Full House and uh, Beverly Hills, not Beverly Hills. Uh, what was it with Zach and Slater and Screech? Oh, uh, Say by the Bell. Yeah. But I don't know. Before that, it was just, again, like, see, we're, we're talking about our same era, right? So it was, you know. But there was. Uh, Thundercats and, and He-Man and G.I. Joe. That's what and, I want to get to. And, like, which and, what? Uh, Micro Machines and, and Smurfs and like, all that stuff. It was all, it was, we were only kind of subject to what we were shown. Here's the music you like. Here's the, here's, and then, like, the movies, too. So, like, Teen Wolf, Back to the Future, Wayne's World. Like, it was just, I don't know. It's just need to know that there was actually more that we didn't know about. But I was okay with what I was force fed then. <laughs> because I'm, I'm not saying I wasn't. I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to, but it's just, I feel like there was a bit of like, you know, we were, th- it was, this was what we were told. Yeah. Like, but there's also this and this. I, I, I'll put on, just because I'm, I'll be completely sick of the kids program that my kids watch. I'm like, okay, YouTube, G.I. Joe or Thundercats or Polka Dot Door. Yeah. And, I, and I watch my kids watch it. And they're responding in a completely different way. Yeah. And they're engaged and bought in in a very different way. There, there is a decidedly different approach to programming, and you can see the difference between it. But I, I, it's magical for me to watch them be taken by yeah. 
what I was taken That's taken great. in on. Do you have you shown them uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse? He, he, Sam loves Pee Wee Herman. Oh wow! So we watched the same clip over and over again when he gets in the the, the pool with the the rich kid and tries drowning him because oh, he thinks yeah. yeah. And Sam's like, "This is amazing." Um, Francis, <laughs> bike's not for sale, Francis. <laughs> uh, what do you do right now? As a, as a responsible adult, in terms of like, if, oh, yeah. if, may I ask, in terms of your 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 daytime? Yeah, adult adult money. Uh, I'm a Montessori teacher. Are you really? At a school called Dundas Valley Montessori in Dundas. I know that place. Good for you. And uh, we have concerts there sometimes. Big big rock and roll concerts, just to tie into what we're talking about. But uh, so you have a real job. I have a real job. Yeah. One day after I left by Divine Right, I I stumbled upon this school, and I applied. As a EA, just yeah. as an assistant, didn't know much about Montessori. And the woman, I just just so happened, it was Spadina and Bluer. The woman that hired me opened the, you know, got to work that day, found my resume in the morning. Someone quit wow. that morning, saw my resume. It was a guy. She called me. I came in for the interview. We talked, chat, chat, chat. And then I was in, I was, I had the job at, later in the day. But what she didn't, I didn't know was she, we talked about music a little bit and she said, Oh, you're in this band. I said, yeah, but I'm, I, I'm out of the band now, but I'm still in the music industry. And I said, how, who was your favorite Canadian musician? Just, to, I wanted to bring it to her. And she goes, Ron Sexsmith. He's my ultimate, ultimate favorite. So you regaled her with stories. No, she's just kept on going on and on and on. I'm just backing up and listening, listening, listening. I was like, yeah, he sang at my wedding. Oh my God. And then she just went, when can you start? Uh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll think about this. And then, yeah, so she, they hired me then and to this day like she changed my life gail gorman she lives on over on stanley and her husband is hamilton's renowned architect dave premi who did the farmer's market and the, wow. and the library and a bunch of jackson square stuff and uh, so you got hired based off your life experience and 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 hand experience you didn't need a degree from because you wouldn't have had time to i go was to supposed school. to have a degree right it's called charm it's still a thing, man. Like there, are, there are people that are still getting hired by by educational, especially Montessori's. Yeah. And there's there's another school. Um, it's my timer. Um, Waldorf. Yeah, they have an incredibly unique perspective on Waldorf, on, on yeah. teaching, yeah. and uh, they're less interested in your pedigree and more about your life. And yeah. it's like, I would love to teach. Yeah, it's neat. It, it's it's a bit more. Uh, you hear these stories where like this person kind of stumbled in, but it's also much easier if you have your training and mm-hmm. the training doesn't, it's some of them are, it's way less than the, the teacher's college, but yeah, they exist for sure. You could totally jump in. I think, I think um, I'm just want to double check. My wife is uh, probably texting me good night and I'm okay with, yeah, you don't want to, as a podcaster, you don't want to have to edit too much. I don't edit at all. All I do is this, so this is just for you so to would, know. Would we, would this, this is all free form. Okay, so right now this is going to be in there. Yes. Hey, we're, we're, we're Tom talking. Wilson took off in the middle of me asking him a question. He had to go pee, and I'm like, this is amazing. I'm keeping it in. I, <laughs> I, I've always been fascinated by just the whole organic thing, right? But uh, no, I, I, and I don't have the time to edit, but what I do do is, just for you to know, there's a, there's a company out of the UK called Ophonic. Shout out Ophonic. I hate when people do that, but I'm doing it. And it's basically an algorithm that you uh, upload the file and they compress everything. And inside an hour, you get a really good sound. Nice. It takes out uh, filters everywhere. And it's just like, okay, makes you sound professional. And yeah. I can do that. But uh, it already sounds pretty good in the, in the yeah. cans here. Yeah. Um, but I think the, um, the prevailing takeaway I'm getting from your story. Which one? 
every all of it. So thinking about the Gord Downey scoring on Gord Downey, I still feel bad about. Yeah, that. I, and I'll I'll always think that now when I see a goalie doing his thing. But but your relationships through music, your decision to become a musician has literally been a bedrock for everything that you stand on and do. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, I'm over. It's you've an left, over. You've left me speechless. It's an yeah. oversimplification, but if you were to look back at your 80th year and go, "Oh my God, everything has flowed through that initial decision." Maybe it's your brother we need to thank for telling yeah. you you're too skinny for football or whatever. Yeah, it was, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but it was it was music, man. That that has given you a platform. Yeah, because it was learning how to play music, which led me into By Divine Right, which led me to meeting my wife, which led me to quitting the band to get in the Montessori game yeah. because I was in By Divine Right. So Ron came to the wedding. Right. So I got the job to then. And then starting a podcast with Rocky and then ending up on CBC and having an award. That's amazing. What award? <laughs> the Gemini Award. award. Oh, the Gemini. Um, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. The podcast, I was like. All right. Well, as we, as we. We'll say until next time. Yeah, because I'm going to come back here with with Brandon. I want to I want to do a, a two parter because I Brandon the guy the Brandon man Reed yeah cause, yeah because he's a hard guy to get but I'll I'll get him to come down because he likes to go to the brain and merit so awesome. I think that's what I'll just do like we're gonna go see Rocky we're gonna go for a couple beers I'm gonna like catch it. a movie at Jackson Square uh, Paramount Theaters shout out. I said shout out so many times. Maybe I'll invite myself and tag along for the whole the whole sale tonight and experience, you're and, more than and we'll just do 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 a thing. Hang out with the deal for the evening. Well, you're, you're welcome this Friday and Saturday. I go out a lot. My awesome. Wife, my wife drives. I drive my wife crazy, but uh, I, I work with kids all day long. Yeah, you so need an outlet. I a lot of times I just go home. I'll I'll stay home for weeks, but other times I'll go out like four four nights a week because right if something fun's happening, and I think everyone else should do the same because YOLO. I agree with you. Um, I, I really hope that um, I, I do say this a fair bit because I do really enjoy the people that come on the show. Um, but I definitely feel a kindredness with you. And uh, there is a very small amount of history just based off proximity and, you know, going back to high school days. But I would I would love for you to have a semi-regular appearance on here and, and cover a whole swath of random things. It doesn't have to be music, but I feel like there's enough of a shared uh, life experience uh, that we could probably go off on a lot of tangents. Okay. I totally agree with that. hundred percent. Rocky is my new friend in town nice. again, nice. but I have another invite and it's also not, I, I appreciate your sincere uh, invitation to that. Cause I know it's real. Mm-hmm. My sincere invitation back is Tom and I have a radio show at Mohawk and we always have guests up. I meant to ask you that because if you're still doing it, yeah. sorry to cut you off. Okay. So they just haven't let everyone back in yet. They're, they're, the college is just waiting for, they're just so slow up there. Yeah. You've been doing that for years now, so, haven't you? Well, no, we only did it for a year and then COVID happened. Oh, okay. So, so I then I'd, I, would, I was doing it online a little bit, but it was so hard to do. Like just as a dad and teaching and trying yeah. to make music and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't want to, because so much editing. And I just don't want to be behind the computer. When you're behind the board at a at a radio station, you're like, "How you doing, Hamilton? Here's this song." Right. And then you're like, "Hey, welcome back. We played this, this, this. Tom, what do you think?" And then like, and we just two hours later, we're done. Yeah. So uh, I just love having music fans up there and music nerds oh, chatting about just blasting I tunes. Love that. Yeah, it's so fun. I think ultimately this 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 podcast is my attempt at probably never being a DJ, but feeling a little bit like a DJ, the, 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 the ability to just kind of 
shoot the shit, say something, play a great song, and then talk about it again. Yeah. It's like it's so killer, amazing. Yeah. And it's a really nice booth up there. It's not it's not too hard, and you can just plug in your laptop, so you just you can stream or you can just have a thing curated. I'll be there with bells on, man. And and you know what? As as, as let's just keep going here with the invites. So, um, people that I care about that I know are worth caring about. Uh, it won't be long till I feed you, you and your wife. So I'd love to get together and oh, nice. break some bread with you and make you some kick-ass food. Yeah, she's a huge foodie. Is she? I'm, uh, I'm, I, sh- she's the, the foodie in the house, and I'm, I'm the sous chef and uh, awesome. line cook and uh, dishwasher. Well, Dylan Hudecki, the guy who scored on Gord Downey. That's it. That's my, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, Dylan Hideki, the Dill. On your gravestone. Yeah. I scored on Gordowney. Scored on Gordowney. Um, and didn't like it. Yeah, I love that. It, is, it has been my very high-valued guest tonight. Um, it's been a while since we've gone this far uh, timeline-wise, and I, I, go, I love going long uh, talking, and Dylan, you've been a joy to have. Thank you. Uh, you're Thanks the real for, deal. Thanks for having me. I'm the real deal. Yeah, man. And uh, go check out Dylan's uh, project, The Dill, and the most current re- uh, release. Uh, what, I'm sorry. Was it called Beside? Uh, yeah. Beside, Beside is the Beside, uh, yeah. is the album. And you were playing Mills Hardware. May 13th uh, with tons. We're playing Mills Hardware and writing a new album. And um, it's going to be out 2023, 2024, or 2025. Um, oh, okay. I'm giving you a nice yeah, wide berth, wide berth. And that works for me. Uh, Dylan, thank you so much for your generosity of, in spirit and, and uh, your stories are insane. And I know that I, we got a, maybe a sizzle reel of a scissor reel of what you really know and have experienced. And there will be more podcasts. Are you, no, I you're gonna, we, this is volume one. Let's do it. We this do is what we're going to do. Yeah. I'm, when, I, when I put the slug line on your episode, yeah. it's going to say Dylan Hudecki, The <laughs> Dill, Volume 1. Because this, this will be a semi-regular thing. Okay. Uh, but we can't do, we can't do like more than like two a year. I think it has to be like, or maybe three a year. We have to cap it. I think I'm, I'm good with three. Okay. Tops. Yeah. I'm also okay with opening another project, but that's that's we'll we'll, we'll keep recording <laughs> each other. We'll see how that goes. Uh, you're a busy guy. Thank you guys for being with us for episode 26. Uh, you guys are amazing, and um, people from Lithuania are listening, and Dubai, and Switzerland, and Palestine. Oh, it's we're all connected. We're super connected. It's, we're all the human thing is just blowing my mind. So uh, you 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 that person listening in Lithuania. You make my heart happy when I saw that you were listening there. I see the analytics. Anyway, guys, I'm rambling. Episode 26 is now in the can. Dylan Hudecki, you're a rock star, literally, figuratively. And uh, go listen to the Tragically Hip just because. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye.